0: Turn our attention over to our teaching for this morning, Uh, and we are going to be studying Genesis chapter 12, and we'll look at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 20. This is God's Word. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem at the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God.
1: Good morning, my name is Adam Venable, and if we have never met, I'm the RUF campus minister over at UAB. Uh, it's summer, and I always hope to have more time in the summer. It doesn't usually work out the way that I uh, would like perfectly, but hope to have more time. And so I try and read a little bit more than um, I normally would. I picked up a book last week called Tribe by Sebastian Unger, or Younger. Anybody read this book? Um, It's essentially about the importance of community, and he um, goes through very quickly. It's a short read and focuses especially on Native American culture and ancient cultures and the way that they thought about purpose and meaning in life, and it was completely tied to their community. In other words, uh, what Sebastian Unger is arguing is that when you ask the question, what's the purpose of my life? How do I find the meaning of my life? but it's impossible to do that outside of a we, outside of an us. And that's actually a very biblical way to think, that God has wired us for community, and that you're never going to find the purpose or the meaning of life for you by by going out somewhere on your own and finding enlightenment, but that God has hardwired us to live together in community and to find purpose that way. And people have looked for 4,000 years to the man that we're looking at this morning to define what their community is all about. If you asked a Jew today or 2,000 years ago, who are are we or who am I? They would say, well, I'm a child of Abraham. That's what defines our community. And you even see that uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament. What does it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean to be a part of our community? Where we are children, Of Abraham. And so I want to get into that this morning and just look at Abraham and see how that can help us think about our community, even right here at Red Mountain Church. And I want to look at three things, especially about the blessing of Abraham or the faith of Abraham. Um, Those three things are the blessing itself, and then the abuse and the fulfillment. The blessing and the abuse and the fulfillment. I got to go home this past weekend to my parents' house, it was my grandma's birthday, we call her Mama in my family. And one of my favorite things about going home for Mamma's birthday is the stories that she tells. And these stories mostly about her husband, my papa, who's passed on now, that have really come to define what our family is and how we think about being a venable. My mamma tells these stories, and they just seep into the lifeblood of our family, and the blessing of Abraham was that way for Jews. It was the greatest family story that they had as a people. Who is Abraham? And the blessing that God gave to Abraham is especially three things, and the first thing is, is that it was a new calling, a new calling. Where was Abraham when God found him in the passage? What was Abraham doing? Was he worshipping God? No. Was Abraham um, searching for God? No. There's, there's no indication of that either. It wasn't even called Abraham yet. It just means the father of a multitude of nations. God's going to give Abram that name soon. But in this passage, he's still named Abram, not worshipping the living God for all that we know. Uh, what happened just a chapter before um, chapter 12? Anybody remember? The story of Babel, where God found humanity building this kind of idol of themselves, trying to reach up to God. Humanity was in rebellion against God. God had told them to fill the whole earth. And instead of that, the humanity had built a kind of the ultimate holy huddle at the Tower of Babel. And God, like your six-year-old that loves to kick the anthill, God had kind of come to Babel and kicked the anthill and frustrated what they were trying to do. And so because of that, humanity was divided. Never, never a greater uh, divided time in humanity's history than right after Babel. It divided humanity. And it was in that culture that Abram was born and grew up. Um, in this place called Ur, was two letters. God found Abram there, and he called him out of there. And... He called Abram to, to, not, to not just leave Ur, but his family had already traveled to a place called Haran. It's about 600 miles away. And God said to Abram, I want you to leave your home, leave your family, leave your kindred, it says in the passage, and go to this place called Canaan. Go to this new place. I've got a new calling for you, Abram. And Abram had to separate from his family. Imagine how hard that would be to leave the place that you knew best behind, and to go to this new place that you had never seen before. God doesn't even tell Abram exactly where he's going to go. Somehow Abram knew, head towards Canaan. I'm going to show you the land when you get there. And so there, there were two things about that calling. First off, God's calling Abram wasn't dependent on his holiness or his goodness. The same is true of us, right? God called me my freshman year at the University of Alabama. It didn't have anything to do with me looking for God. I wasn't looking for the true God. God was looking for me. That's true of every Christian, right? You didn't find God. God found you. But, he, but he's called us to separate, right? To leave that old identity behind and to put on our new identity, which is what he was called calling Abram to do. And so the first thing about the blessing is that it's a new calling, but the second is that it's a new home. And you see this especially in the really earthy language that gets used for what God wants Abram to do. God's plan for Abram wasn't, look, I want you to go find a mountain and go up there and I'm going to download this super secret information to you and then you're going to float away on a cloud somewhere into bliss. Instead, God gave Abram a nation. The passage emphasizes that this is land, this is the earth that you and your people are going to inherit. And that same thing has been true about God's salvation for 4,000 years. That God, in calling Christians to separate from their old identity, he's not bringing them into this super spiritual place that feels like I'm floating on a cloud or something. Does anyone really picture it like floating on a cloud? Probably not, but you understand what I mean. God's promises of, of salvation is earthy. Um, Christians for 2,000 years have believed that in order for our salvation to be complete, this thing called the new heaven and the new what? The new earth. Now God's promise to Christians in their salvation, it is as earthy as God's promise to Abram was. I'm going to bring you into this perfect place. I've asked you to separate from your old identity, but your new identity is going to be earthy and real. And this place that God has called Abram into, it's not a perfect place yet. In the passage, it talks about how the land that Abram's going into is occupied territory. There are people with their own culture and their own ideas about what's good and evil and right and wrong who live in Canaan, the Canaanites, And Abram was going to have to go there in the midst of occupied territory and follow God. And God wasn't intimidated by this occupied territory. He loved this place so much that he was willing to go and be with Abram in the midst of a hard place. Full of people who didn't love God, who didn't know the living God. The same is true of Christians today. The God has called us to follow him in the midst of occupied territory, hasn't he? God's not intimidated by that. Um, He's not intimidated by uh, all the flesh and evil that's at work in your workplace or in Birmingham. He's not not intimidated by all the evil at work in your own heart, in in your own family. The God appears to Abram in the midst of Canaan, occupied territory. And I can't leave this out, um, this part about, it's not just a new calling, but it's a new home for Abram. This home is... Really, Christians for 2,000 years have looked to this passage as the beginning of this thing called the church. Big capital letters, the church. And some of us grew up in the church, and some of us didn't. But the amazing thing about this passage is that it really brings out what Christians have called the Catholic church. Now, I don't know how that word Catholic lands on you. Um, For some of you, that might... uh, kind of rub you the wrong way, the idea of being Catholic and others of you like that idea, but what God means in this passage is that this blessing that God is going to give Abram is going to go out to all the families of the earth so that this new home, this new community is not going to be for a select few, but it's going to be universal. That's what the word Catholic means, that the church is for all the families of the earth, the church is universal. And in that sense, we shouldn't be afraid of the word Catholic. I know that that word can get nuanced in ways that aren't biblical. But according to this passage, the way that God means it to Abraham, the church is for all the families of the earth. It is a universal church going out to the whole world. So the blessing is it's a new calling, it's a new home, and finally it's a new office. And You see this especially in who God's talking to first. Um, The the blessing is not just for all the families of the earth in general, but it starts very narrow through Abraham, just one man. And in that sense, it's it's completely exclusive because what God says is, Abram, those who bless you, I will bless. Abram, those who dishonor you, I will curse. It's very exclusive. It all depends on what people do with Abram and with his seed. Whether or not they become blessed by God or cursed by God all depends not on whether they um, are good boys and good girls, not on whether they do all the right thing all the time, not on uh, what kind of family they grew up in, but solely on what they do with Abram and with his seed. Blessing for those who bless Abram. Curses for those who dishonor Abram. God gives Abram a new office. His representative on earth. But again, it's also completely exclusive. Because God is so glorious that he's going to work through this one man to bless all the families of the earth. And, y'all, this totally goes against our flesh, I think. This, this promise of God to use Abram's seed to bless all the families. When I was in college my parents became foster parents. And I got to see my foster brother this weekend at my grandmother's birthday. And I can remember the very first Thanksgiving, going home from college, and there was someone new at the Thanksgiving table. And I say this to my discredit, to my shame, but I can remember thinking, what is he doing here? This is, where's my family? Um, he doesn't want to talk about the things I want to talk about. And the things he wants to talk about, I don't, I don't care about that stuff. What happened to our family? What, what happened to the togetherness that we felt? What happened to the us-ness, you know, the fellowship, the community? This new person has ruined it. And, of course, God knows that about us. It's not just an Adam Venable problem. It's a human problem. And so from the beginning of the church, God marking out his people... 4,000 years ago in the life of Abram, he says, You and your seed, this nation that I'm building, it's for all the families. Not just for you, it's for the outsiders. You've got to fight that fleshly tendency to look out. You've got to start to celebrate when new people come in and not get weirded out by that. Or you've got to take the weirded out feeling that you feel when the outsiders come in and, and, and bring it to God. He's for all the families. Don't you feel that tendency in your own heart? I don't know, when someone new shows up at your community group. Um, what about the usness? What about the togetherness? What about the fellowship? And God is saying, I'm, I'm for all the families. That's the blessing. How do we abuse it? And I, I want to go quickly here. There's really two things about the way we abuse it. And it's something about Abram and there's just something about the Jews in general. How does Abram respond to this blessing that God gives him? A new calling and a new home and this new responsibility to represent God. How does Abram respond? And you see this in the story of Abram is in Canaan and there's a famine. And so he says to Sarai, his wife, we have to leave this territory and go down to Egypt. And in Egypt, we're going to find food and everything is going to be fine. But on their way, Abram's worried. And he says, if they find us, they're going to see that you're beautiful, and they're going to want to take you to go be someone's wife, and they're going to kill me. And the only way that, the only way that we're going to live, the only way that we're going to survive this, is if we tell a little white lie. And, and, and we tell people that you're not my wife. Would you just tell people that you're my sister instead? And I think that's how uh, we, can, we, we can get out of this and, and survive and thrive. Let's, let's just lie and, and I'll be fine. And yeah, we won't be married, but at least you'll be well off. And so that's what they do. And we do the same thing all the time. Like, why is lying so, so serious? Why is it such a big deal to lie? It's a denial of Christian hope. Because it says this. I don't trust God to do what he said he would do. And so I, I'm, I prefer to live in, in, in a fantasy world of, of, of my own doing. And that's how I think that we're going to get out of this. I don't trust God to take care of me. And so I'm going to lie about who I am, what I've done. I'm going to create a fantasy world so that I don't have to live under God's promise. Because what did God promise Abram? I am going to curse those who dishonor you Completely curse them I am going to take care of you In fact, you and Sarai, you're going to have children And they're going to bless the whole world Like you need to stay married You can't break up All the families of the world And their well-being depends on you, Abram And Sarai having a child someday But Abram didn't believe that Um, and, and, And neither do we so often do you think that sometimes we sometimes prefer to live in a fantasy world rather than trust in Jesus to care for us the way that he promised he would? I think we do. But um, you see the, the blessing of Abram getting abused one more way. Um, what, what made Jesus the most mad in his ministry? What, what really made Jesus angry, palpably angry? It was the way the Jews treated the story of Abram. Because the Jews, for the most part, looked at Abram like this. That's my righteousness. I don't want to have a real relationship with God. I want to avoid God at all costs. And I'm going to use the story of Abram to do it. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to pray and read the Bible. And I'm going to look really obedient like a good boy and a good girl but I I don't want a real relationship with God. I don't want to be honest with who I am. I don't want to ask God for help. And so whenever I feel the least little bit vulnerable, the way I'm going to medicate myself is, well, look, I'm a child of Abram. I'm a child of Abraham. Now I'm fine. I'm a child of Abraham. As a matter of fact, you're in trouble because you're not a child of Abraham. That's how the Jews abused the story of Abram. This is not a Jewish problem, right? This is a human problem. Um, it's our own tendency to hide behind church to avoid God. I, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to go to community group. I don't want anything to do with God. And the best way for me to avoid him, to keep people from asking about me, is I'm just going to try to do all the right things. I go to church. And that nagging little voice in the back of your mind that says, I should turn to Jesus. Man, man, I should, I should really turn to Jesus. I'm probably fine because I go to church. I'm probably fine. This was the way that the Jews, the views, that would be an interesting Old Testament name, wouldn't it? That was the way that the Jews abused the story of Abram. They wanted to leave it behind, and they wanted to hide behind it. And that—that's the bad news for them. So, what's the good news? And this is my final point. That. Um, this is the fulfillment of the blessing of Abram. How does the New Testament begin? Very first verse of the New Testament starts this way: The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the son of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham. Um, Mary, often called the Virgin Mary. She has a song in Luke chapter 1. We read this around Christmas time. And that song that Mary um, uh, speaks, that's recorded in Luke 1, this is how it ends. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Did Jesus go on a great journey like Abraham? Jesus left heaven, the perfect place, to come down to earth. Jesus came down and he separated himself from all sin. And this wasn't just Jesus' idea, but God the Father called his son to do this. To leave his home, to come on a mission, to bring the blessing of salvation to all the families of the earth. Did God give Jesus better promises than God gave to Abram? God promised Jesus, his only son, that Jesus would inherit the heaven and the earth, not just Canaan. He promised that he would give Jesus a new heaven and a new earth. Who's on a mission to bring salvation to every family of the earth, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Take this blessing to the whole earth. This is Jesus. Who's a better husband than Abram? You know, when Abram wanted to leave his wife, he was scared, so he left her. Who's a better husband than Abram? Jesus The one who's promised to never leave his church or forsake his church, no matter how hard things get, Jesus has promised to never leave us, not the way that Abram left Sarai. How did God respond abraham's sin that's the good news i think god could have said look abram i I called you and i gave you a new home and this amazing new responsibility to bless me and the first thing you do when things get tough is you lie and you jeopardize the whole mission the offspring the the families of the earth look i've got to start with someone new um you know thanks for trying have a nice life What did God do instead? He inflicted plagues on Egypt so that Pharaoh realized what had happened, not the last time God would inflict plagues on Egypt. And God renewed the situation. And Pharaoh gave up Sarai. And Sarai and Abram were reconciled and came back together. And the passage said that God gave Abram all that he needed. Red Mountain Church, um, what does it mean that we share in in the blessing of Abram? Um, It means for us that God found us. We didn't find him. Um, It means that your background doesn't recommend you to God. It doesn't matter how smart you are or funny or good looking or powerful or um, well liked you are. That God saves anybody and everybody. And I, I wanted to end with this. This is a I saw this story um, from a friend of mine who he pointed it out to me and it's from the LA Times just from May 18th and this is how the story goes from the LA Times it says in 1998 a jogger found a newborn baby buried alive in the foothills of Altadena, California and the baby was not more than a few hours old hovered near death Azita Milanian. That's the woman's name. She was out jogging and one of her dogs had stopped to smell and scratch at the dirt on the trail. And Melanian went to investigate and saw two feet coming out of the ground. At first she thought it was an animal. But then she heard the infant cry. And when she started digging, she found a baby wrapped in a blue towel. And she lifted him onto her arm and began digging the dirt from his nose and mouth. And the baby makes a remarkable recovery. Finds a family... Uh, the hospital nurses named the baby, Baby Christian, and people from around the state as far as Florida send toys and gifts and donations, and the authorities look and look uh, in vain for the boy's mother. They they comb the area with um, scent dogs, and they're knocking on doors. This is back in 1998. So 20 years later, Melanian, who discovered the baby, she drives Whitaker to the hiking trail, Whitaker the, was the baby's name, to the hiking trail where she had found him and as she walked with him, she called him by the name that he knew best, which was Christian. And Whitaker stares through this chain link fence at the spot and he grew quiet, very serious. And when they got back in the car, Melanian asked if he was okay and he says, this, this could have been my grave. And Melanian sat next to him in the car and said softly, you were wanted. You were wanted. And man, that is a softball illustration for the gospel, for, for God finding us when we were helpless and rescuing us when we could do nothing and bringing us into his family and giving us a new home, right? Who's the gospel for? The passage says it's for all the families of the earth. What's, what sorts of families? It's hard for me to say this without tearing up. What sorts of families is the gospel for? Um, Is the gospel for a family like this woman that would abandon her child um, in the the dirt? Like, is the gospel for for that kind of a family? Because Genesis 12 says yes. Um, Is the gospel for a family that would just try to destroy itself, basically? All the families of the earth... God's blessing is for and Jesus has said yes and amen that I'm here to give that blessing to every family Um, is it for families that abuse uh, alcohol and food and sex is it for families whose devotional life is in the toilet is it for families who just feel like giving up all the families it's for all the families and um, I just thought we would close this morning by whether it's for the first time for you, or maybe the thousandth time. Um, I would just invite you to, let's turn to Jesus again. And, um, you know, confess our sins to him. And ask him to strengthen us with his Holy Spirit. Um, that we might, you know, just claim that promise again. That the gospel is for our family. It's for my family. If you don't have a family because it's uh, been taken away one way or the other. It's, it's for your family too. Um, so would you all pray with me and let's, um, let's go to Jesus together. Heavenly Father, we do uh, confess that uh, we're the kind of people that, that do abuse your grace. And we have, we've turned away from you a thousand times, uh, Lord Jesus. But we do come to you, uh, blessing you, Lord Jesus, for, for calling us. Thank you for, for hearing our cries. And we pray that you would make your salvation real to us, that we might separate ourselves from our old identity. Help us to leave like Abram did. Help us to go, um, to go away from our old identities and flesh and sin, Lord. and, And even use us for all the families at Red Mountain and all the families even in Birmingham, that they might know that your blessing is for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.